think overwhelmingly COD fans like enjoyed this game, but there were some casual people I know more so that didn't like this game. And I'm not sure if it's just like bad SBMM or, or something, but like as far as like gunplay and mechanics, this game, there are still things that they need to fix. I don't like, but as far as for a pub game, I thought this was pretty good out of the box. I, I feel you. I think SBMM is an issue. I can understand for a lot of people why it's not great. Welcome, everyone, to episode 148 of the COD Casuals. We're your host, Justin. And I'm Mike. How you doing, Mike? Doing good, man. I had a good day at work. It was a long, long day, which sucked. It was a long you day know. for me, too. <laughs> yeah, it's always a long day at school, you know, but what are you going to do? Yeah. So we got done with that. Now we're sitting down. We're going to go play COD after this, for sure. Yeah. But we have a we have a very, very special guest, Justin, if you'd like to introduce this person to us. Uh, yeah. And yeah, guys, we're obviously online this time. We've got a very special guest with us. Um, if you follow the competitive Call of Duty scene, like you definitely know of him. Uh, he was formerly an analyst and manager for FaZe Clan. Most recently, he was part of Esports Engine. Today, he's a full-time content creator. He's a co-host and the executive producer of The Flank. Let's welcome Ben J. Nassim. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for uh, for having me. I'm excited to uh, chat, and I agree with you guys. You know, Fridays, this on a Friday, I, as someone that used to have a, a full-time job, I hated doing that. I hated having any meeting after 1 p.m. because I just wanted to go be somewhere else. So I feel you guys, after a long Friday, just want to unwind, hang out with the squad, play some COD, feel you on that. Yeah, man. That's what we do pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, so we both work, we've mentioned to our viewers before. So Justin's in the financial realm and then I'm a, a school teacher. So when we get done, it's a long day and then it's usually around like eight or nine and we just, we've been playing together forever. That's usually what we do. We hop on, we're enjoying them on Warfare 3. Unlike some people who say that they don't like the game, but we're having fun with it. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's odd to me, like, um, cause I know there was a lot of chatter, you know, so like I played the game uh, early. I went, you know, got invited to LA. Shout out Rob Taylor and Shanice over at Activision invited me. Oh, they invited Tom. The story was they invited Tom, and then Tom couldn't go because he had to go to his brother's um, bachelor party, and he was like, "Give the spot to Ben." So I was like, "I bet." So I pulled up. And at the time when when I played there, like overwhelmingly, all the creators were like, even for it being you know in a beta state, like this game's really good. You know, even the people that played over the summer. Um, the beta came out that was good, and the full game came out that was good. And I, I saw that, like, you know, there were, a, like, all the creators I know, and it's not, like, a biased thing. It's not like they're trying to, you know, keep the relationship going. Like, I think overwhelmingly COD fans, like, enjoyed this game, but there were some casual people I know more so that didn't like this game. And I'm not sure if it's just, like, bad SBMM or, or something, but, like, I, I don't know. I find as, as far as, like, gunplay and mechanics this game, there are still things that they need to fix I don't like. But as far as like a as for a pub game, I thought this was pretty good out of the box. Yeah, uh, Mike and I actually we talked about that. Like our buddies that they play super casually, they um they like the game. But the problem is, I think it is a SBMM, and they've just gotten so used to the the fast TTK like over the years because a lot of them skipped over Cold War because uh -huh. they, they yeah, and so now going to MW three, obviously the health is one fifty and. A lot of people aren't used to that uh, longer TTK. I mean, it's it's just the longer TTKs is better. I mean, you guys yeah. probably all agree. Like, um, you know, the problem with the fast TTK is it makes the online gameplay like really consistent. Um, you know, like we play a lot of, like East Coast, West Coast eights, and if like on old games, if like anyone West Coast like Tommy hosted, like and I was on like, eight ping, I was like, 
No, nah, this ain't fun. But mm. I feel you. I think SVMM is is an issue, uh, and I can understand for a lot of people why it's not great. I know that Sledge recently, as of yesterday, I think kind of addressed SVMM, and it sounds like it doesn't sound like they're trying to fix it. It sounds like they're going to put out a post and kind of explain their philosophy and maybe kind of get some kind of community conversation and maybe we can collectively come with some kind of middle ground. But yeah, I, I feel that. I also saw there was a lot of criticism in the campaign. That was probably the weakest part of the game for me. Is like, I know some people liked the overall campaign, but I thought it was very short. It, last year's campaign was great. Uh, the, the one like, I'm going to put a couple of full-time COD campaigns recently. And that was one that I played start to finish and really liked. This one, I was like, eh, after a couple hours, I was like, yeah. It's not worth finishing. I is what it is. Yeah, I mean, we did a whole uh, we did a whole talk on it because that was like like most people. We got it early access and then we started playing it, and we couldn't believe how short it was. Um, and then realizing after the fact that it was definitely kind of slapped together last minute, um, like the whole game as as a whole was. Um, you could definitely then see the holes in the campaign. Because um, I agree with you. I think past CODs have always done a really good job with the campaigns. Um, for the most part, even Vanguard, which I know most people hate or they put up there as one of their least favorite CODs, that campaign was so much better than what we got this time around. I hated those DMZ type missions that were given in it. Um, yeah. I get what they were trying to do with it, but I think it was just executed poorly. Um, but I'm curious if they're going to do anything with it going forward, if they're going to keep that going and refine it or they're just going to scrap it all together. My guess is because of the sort of reporting we got around the development of this game that they just, it was a time thing. That was a decision. My guess is the decision they made in order to ship a solid-ish campaign was to go down that route. So I think that was a little bit easier on the design path. I assume next year with supposedly Treyarch having a pretty good runway to have made this next game that we'll probably see a more full-throated campaign. But obviously that, that to me is why I think they made decision for campaign this game. And I don't blame them, bro. I assume being a developer for one of these studios where you don't get two or three years to, to do a game, you get a year and a half. It's got to be really tough and you got to make some very difficult design decisions. And that was probably one of them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we, Mike and I both definitely feel for the, the people on the dev side. Um, I know I, I personally work with like a lot of developers at my job and I could not do the work that they do the amount of problems that we always have we're always submitting like tickets to them they've yeah. got a lot on their plate um and story overall um again like we said it wasn't our favorite but my biggest gripe with the campaign was the actual ending of it i don't yeah yeah and it, it didn't follow the storyline of traditional modern warfare so that kind of just that upset us as uh campaign fan fans before jumping into like all this cod which we've already sort of done um do you want to give like an intro introduction of yourself who you are how you got into like cod overall yeah i mean i can speak on it so you know i've been playing cod for like a really long time i used to play a lot of halo and i started playing cod with my halo friends around call of duty 2 um a lot of people like in the Rooster Teeth community, that's kind of where I originally came from. So I did that for a long time. I like played like every COD game that came out, except for World of War, for whatever. I don't remember why I skipped World of War. I might have been college or something. I don't really remember. Um, so I did that. And then when Black Ops 2 came out, one of my friends was like, yo, like, there's this competitive scene, there's COD champs, this champions thing happening, like in the spring, like you should watch. I was like, I bet. 
I tuned in, watched a lot of Nade Shot play, you know, watched a lot of Express SD. I'm like, this is pretty lit, like more lit than like the pubs. I started really getting into like watching the comp scene that year. Um, really got into it, I think, probably and Ghost because that was the first event I attended was X Games Austin um, at the uh, the tent at the uh, Coda, the Circuit of the Americas in Austin. I was living there at the time uh and i got hooked like i saw the proof i was there for the proof four piece so i was like all right this is this is where it's at so started hanging out there um i got i i used to then hang out a lot in clayster's chat and play eventually maybe a mod in the chat use a steel i used to like i used to be like i used to type in chat like oh man like you guys are just like you guys are just like not calling out your spawns like <laughs> in the chat and then all of a sudden clay would say it to his teammates and i'm just like well He's just stealing all the things that I say. He had to say back to like uh, Joey D and, 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 uh, so I was in clay chat for a long time. I was good friends with clay. Uh, went to uh, the next event I went to was champs, AW champs in LA. Um, that's where I like met a lot of people for the first time. Like I met clay, I met his, his family. I met, um, I met Ian there for the first time. Plus I made that event, uh, optic guys. Some of them I'd already met before from when they came to Austin. Um, and I got hooked. I was like, this bad. Like, I met Hitch there for the first time at that event. Like, Davis and I had known each other at that point for a while. And the reason we had known each other is because starting in December the year prior, I actually started doing some work for a Twitter account that's no longer around, Optic Intel, which I think used to be like COD Intel. I don't remember what it used to be before Hector got involved with it, but basically it was like, it used to be like um, CDL Intel or like any one of these like uh, COD Twitter accounts before they existed. Um, uh, I think Deserto had like the first edition of Deserto had like come and gone at that point. So even Deserto wasn't around that early. Um, and so we were like, and I, I sort of volunteered on the social media side. Like we were the ones doing out match results at events, like graphics, brackets, like all that stuff. So I did that, volunteered that for pretty much all the AW year. At one point in the AW year, I went to Hector and I said, yo, like I'd love to like, you know, cause I was working for an ISP at the time. I was like, yo, I want to, like made this a full-time thing. Like I'll run i run the optic Twitter account for $2,000 a month. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found the email the other day. Uh, it was really funny. It was a good email. And Hector was like, nah, like, you know, I, like I'm, I'm still doing a thing, but I appreciate it. And then unfortunately what happened with optic Intel was Davis, AK hitch. Like he started doing more, started doing like vision, started doing more content stuff. So he just didn't have the time to run Intel and sites like the would come back at that point. But I just don't think for them, it made sense to continue that. But it worked out for me because I started getting close with the Face Clan guys, especially guys like Temper and Banks, the team, obviously, as well. Um, you know, like Tommy and Ian and Dylan and um, Clay and all them. But, you know, Ricky and Tommy, who at the time were intimately involved with the team business. This is before any of the professional folks had come in at Face. Like, it was still the, the, the owners basically running the show, them and Seabass. Um, and so going to Black Ops 3 with Ban and Protect coming in, you know, there was a conversation to be had about, wow, we really need someone to like help with just collecting a lot of data, like really keeping us focused on what we want to work on in scrims, like kind of working on how we want to game plan people and band and protect and matches. So I got involved with them as an analyst for the beginning of that year, up until about South after South Carolina, um, just because economics at that point didn't really work for phase. They at that point actually brought in uh, their first iteration of uh, ownership. So, I had about a couple months break. At that point, they were living in Austin. So I'd still hang out with them like on a bi-weekly basis, you know. Ian's PC would break and he'd be like, yo, come over and let me fix my PC. <laughs> I'm like, I have uh, like 15 minutes away. So I'd come over. 
Um, and then once the clay search trade happened, because clay, I'm for you didn't watch the time like in Infinite Warfare, the team kind of blew up. They'd been together for a long time, a lot of success in AW. Black Ops 2, they were good, but not great. IW started off the year good, and things kind of got south from there. And so the team kind of broke up to an extent. Um, there was a trade. Gunless came over to phase. Clay went off to United. And also Crowder, who was coaching the team at the time, started to start playing again. Um, so he went off to Echo Fox. So there was nobody like managing the team, coaching the team. So Ian hit me up and Abel, and he was like, yo, you want to come in for sort of the last event? I said, I bet. So I did that. And then, um, you know, Eric Anderson, who's uh, the head of Esports to Phase, um, sort of after the event, him and I had a conversation about me continuing, you know, full time. The team was going to change a lot. Um, Ian was going to, Ian was leaving. Uh, Clay and uh, Dylan and, and Zuma and Attach were staying. But they were bringing in Crowder back in. Crowder had a great event for Echo Fox. Even though they didn't make it deep in the tournament, Crowder played well. And they were bringing over this kid, Priesta, from uh, Cloud9. So they you know, were trying to build that team back up. And Eric's like, do you want to you know, get involved in that? Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm down. So I ended up managing the team from that point on. Uh, a good group of guys. We had a lot of success uh, that year in World War II. Um, and then over sort of the offseason World War II, I, I started getting really involved in actually two other teams for um, days. I started getting involved with Fortnite, especially at the beginning. That was a very complex ecosystem for FaZe because there was a lot of interest. It was an esports side to it and a talent side. So it was a very interesting kind of conversation that was always going on in terms of roles and responsibilities and how to manage. Uh, and, you know, some of the guys on the team were great. Some of them were sometimes difficult to manage because they were a little green. Um, and I was also getting involved with our FIFA team at the time. So Taz and I talked a lot, even though, you know, he's an Arsenal fan. I was a Tottenham fan. So if you know anything about the Arsenal Tottenham <laughs> rivalry, that was, that was always fun. Um, I did that until um, the next summer. So the, what happened the next summer was, and this is 2019, summer 2019. Uh, for those that are, you know, been around the esports scene for a while, know who MLG is. MLG got bought a couple of years prior by Activision. As part of their, they were trying to figure out their long-term esports play, and then they didn't sort of lost what they want to do with it because they were like, oh, we're going to do OWL, CDL, we're going to do these franchise leagues. So they actually were going to lay off everybody from LG. Uh, and so that all got sorted and they ended up actually spinning off into their own company. So they hit me up over the summer and they were like, yo, we're, you know, we're, you probably have heard that we're breaking off doing our own thing. Would you like to join? I said, you know, I'd be interested, you know, hit me up kind of end of the year. Cause at the same time for me on the face clan side, the call of duty team was transitioning to being uh, part of Atlanta face. So the, the ownership entity of the team was changing. I would have still been involved, but it would have been in like a little bit of a different sort of almost external capacity. Um, and so I was like, I had, at that point, like, you know, maybe a little bit more steady job. And my boss at that time, Eric was like, if they offer you anything, like take it because you know, more world than what I can get you. So like, I bet we'll hit you up at the end of the year. And <laughs> they call me like, I was like driving to, uh, um, to go hang out with, uh, I don't remember when this was probably like after champs at some point to go hang out for a weekend with um, Zero and um, Scraps and Frisco. So I was driving from Austin to Frisco. I got a call like in the middle of that drive from um, Rami over at, uh, at Eastport. And he's like, hey, so remember when I was going to hit you up in December? Well, we, we didn't want to start. At the uh, beginning of November, would you be down? So I made a big decision like, uh, you know, end of the summer. This is actually the not August, probably the beginning of September to move 
uh, you know, and my lease moved to um, Columbus. So I moved to Columbus in fall 2019, started working for Esports Engine in the sort of business development client services department. So the way that Esports Engine kind of ran their program project management and like kind of business development is they don't, they didn't really like, and I kind of agree with Adam Apple on this. He didn't really like this sort of thought process of when you're trying to get a new client in, that they're talking to sort of a business development guy. And then once that deals one, you're then talking to a different like sort of project manager. He thought that those two roles could kind of work and be the same person. And then you can really establish a relationship, right? With upper management, with that person and the people below them that you're subject matter, matter experts. So it was a really cool job. Um, it was a challenge because obviously I joined right before COVID. The entire esports uh, world turned upside down during COVID. Um, so we had to do that, but working there was great because I had known a lot of those people in an external capacity um, from being on the team side. Like we used to go to the MLG studio all the time. They used to yell at me all the time for uh, using the bathroom in their office because mm -hmm. it was way better and the pros are always using the other bathroom. So I was like, you know, maybe I need to go. Like they're on stage, you know, taking a bathroom break. Like, uh, too bad. Uh, but uh, no, but they really liked, you know, I, I'd... Um, I had been always someone that was very transparent with them on what I think they needed to do better. I'd given them a couple of really good ideas they ended up actually implementing in the Black Ops 4 season. And so that was a fun job. I did that for about two years. And then, um, you know, uh, 2020, was it at this point like 2022? Uh, summer of 2022, you know, Tom and I were talking and it, it became clear, I think, if I wanted to sort of take the next step with the flank and sort of where sort of the business was heading on the on the the um production side of my current job i was like i gotta pick one or the other i can't do both anymore um because at that point i was like you know on the flank and i was also for esports engine like the main poc of for all things like activision so i'm constantly walking this weird line of like and people at activision were aware right like they mm -hmm. they they loved me and they wanted me involved with the project but they knew that like i'm teetering this weird edge of like talking about the league in like a pundit capacity and then also like doing all the event planning. That was kind of, I was like, I got to pick one or the other. So uh, I talked to Adam app, talked with P Melican over there and I was like, well, you know, they're like, they're like, honestly, like if you want to do the content thing, you're young, like, you know, there's always stuff on the other side where I'll come back. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do that. So I left and that was a big jump. Cause I had no idea of doing full content, doing full-time content, if that would be successful or not. And now about a year and a half in and I love it. Uh, stream, Quite a few days a week um you know we got watch parties coming up soon sort of the bulk of our normal activity starts next weekend with matches so that's always really fun like my main my main gig my main kind of when everybody tunes in is always the morning more the morning before matches cdl matches i'm usually live like 9 or 10 a.m until matches start and i'm always like the one live because everybody's just sort of getting ready and sort of drinking coffee talking cod and yeah, yeah it's been it's been a lot of fun it's been it's been great not have to wake up and get contracts and budgets approved that was always the worst part of my business development side of the job i enjoyed like the problem solving like the project management side i didn't enjoy like you know working working trying to get a behemoth multi-billion dollar company <laughs> to like pay out invoices and like sign contracts but you know but yeah no that's that's the story that's here to there that's how i went from being a twitch mod to like working and being the poc for a production company on act with activision blizzard to you know mm. full-time content creation so now after you had your event at ghost that you went to for the first one in person was it a pretty quick uh decision where you saw that happen you're like 
I got to get involved in this one way or another? Or was it kind of like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And then you eventually started seeing the other positions open up within esports and realizing, wow, I can do something other than just being on stage competing. Uh, I think it was a little bit slower. The job esports thing really didn't come until like a year later. You know, it was more like me and my, my friend Ray. Um, me and my uh, my friend Ray and, and a couple other people like always just kind of talking about esports casually. Um, and it was more of an, in, it was more of a like hobby interest. I didn't really think there were jobs in it until really like the end of uh, AW when it was clear that like these teams were starting to scale up. Many of them didn't really have coaches or analysts at the time because they had banned, there used to be coaches on stage back in like Black Ops 2 and they banned it after that year because all the coaches did was just talk shit to other people. Like you probably <laughs> can look up the videos of like, you know, Mr. X who now works uh, for Overwatch League or I, I'm not sure what's going on there, but you know, he, you know, he used to be coaching like clay and aches and karma and, and teeping them on COL. And all he would do is just like yell at like people across the stage. Like there's a funny clip of him, like yelling at methods. Uh, I, I know Zin talks about a lot, but you know, um, yeah, it wasn't really like, I didn't see the prospects for it until really the year after when it was clear, like these teams were starting to really kind of scale up beyond just being a hobby business to actually trying to run a real business and, be less of a passion project for someone that's got some funding to more of like trying to scale like a front office. Hmm. Now, did you have like, <clears throat> did, you, did you have any aspirations at all to ever be a competitor while you were like surrounded by these other pro players? Like, you know, while you're managing like the, the face players, did that ever like pop into your head ever? No. Cause I would knew I wasn't good enough. <laughs> Awareness. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I wasn't, I never, really had the aspiration really wanted to compete. I, I mm -hmm. more enjoyed like kind of, um, kind of being on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was never like that thought never crossed my mind. Yeah. I mean, so it seems like, like you've found your avenue outside of competing, obviously, and you've been very successful at it. And then that big pivot for you now, like most people, um, even some of our audience who may know you and then pretty much everybody that's in the scene knows you because you're on the flank. Um, and you talked about that difficulty of a jump to go and move from your full-time job to now doing the flank. Um, overall, did you think that doing the flank with other professional players and then you being somebody who doesn't have the professional player background, but having a background in the scene and knowing a lot, um, were you ever worried about that? Or do you ever think about that rift that you might have to face that on the show with, because for people who don't know on that show, it's all former professional players. On and me, <laughs> did he, yeah. there, there is a, there is like a Brian, there's a Twitter guy named Brian stats. He's a good guy. He like tweeted out yep. the other day. Like the flame crew is like stacked. They've got like, they've got like all these rings. Like every one of them is competed at like a national championship. They've won a tournament, like every call of duty. And then everybody replies and then they're like, and me. <laughs> not just like all right but to answer your question you know I, I i by the time we started the flank by the time tom you know tom had retired and we decided to do the show together you know like i had known the pros for a very long time at that point uh and i knew that and was prepared for the eventuality if i was ever going to do content or always come on stream which i used to occasionally like just hang out on calls and i knew people would just criticize my thoughts because i'm not a pro and like pros talk shit about me like there are, if you go and find old episodes of like Nameless's show, the podcast, like there oh, are yeah. people that chirp me on that show before I was even a content creator. They were talking shit about me on there. And I was like, I was like, I know that like some of these guys aren't always going to respect my opinion just because I haven't played, 
but I look at it a different way. And I think people would appreciate that perspective. I think the other thing I knew that I would, you know, I think bring in that kind of situation, what I bring to the show is sort of the understanding of how the other side of it works, not the game development side, because Pat's really got that on handle. It's more the esports business, team business, production business side. People don't always understand why, you know, all tournament organizers make X or Y or Z decision. The leagues make these decisions. People say, you know, a billion dollar company, why can't they do X, Y, and Z? Like I try to give people that insight. And that's not something that I expect like Tommy or Chris or Pat uh, or Sam to really know because they never really had the experience on that side of the business. Yeah. And I, I can tell you that that definitely resonated with me when you and Tommy first started like doing the flank back in 2021. Yeah. Um, and I was like, because Mike and I are both uh, the glasses half full type of people. And th there's always a reason why, you know, people say billion dollar league. Um, why can't, you know, they get these streams, right? Whatever. Right. But there's always an, there's always underlying detail. There's a reason why things go wrong. And I, I think people have to learn and like just realize that these things happen and these decisions aren't made just because, oh, you throw a ton of money at it and all of a sudden everything gets solved. Like if anything, it, it's more problems. Yeah, but I will say like, um, you know, I don't think I was very... And I still am critical of the city-based franchising model. I thought that was a pretty, I thought that would, that venture wasn't really going to work because you're getting away from the history of what's there and you're getting people to attach to local brands that might necessarily not really work. And it's not a recognition of like a global world that we live in that like people are fans of, you know, so-and-so team like professional sports team and they live in the Philippines or they live you know, in, in Iceland. Um, and so it was, to me, it felt like sports people, NFL people coming in, trying to make esports like the NFL, the NBA, whatever, instead of recognizing that, like, that they don't need to fit a circle a peg into a square hole, but obviously mm -hmm. led to, I think the downfall was COVID basically blew up a lot of planning. Like they couldn't mm -hmm. do any local market activation, uh, costs after COVID skyrocket, uh, you know, went up, especially event costs power costs and so like the, the it probably sped up the depth of that experiment that depth experiment but i was always critical of it from the start and mm -hmm. but that being said i always feel like people don't always understand that you know you can't just if you've got a 10 million dollar idea you can't just tomorrow walk into the ceo's office and get that approved mm -hmm. just because you think it's a good idea i think people don't always understand that like the purse isn't always open just because a company got a, a gross revenue of five, ten billion dollars, you know? Mm -hmm. You got it's much harder to get stuff approved and even then you get strings. So I just try to always give people the perspective as to why certain things happen, why they might be slow to announce stuff. And I think people will appreciate that I get that perspective. I don't think it's a start. People always did, but I think now people always kind of see where I'm coming from sometimes um in those conversations. Yeah, I think it's it's a perspective that's always kind of been lacking. Uh, especially over the years, because I know you're aware of it and we are too. Like most of the time you're going to see the people on Twitter who are quick to comment on whatever it may be that's at hand. Um, and like Justin said, they just don't understand what's going on on the back end. Um, that being said, with a lot of our audience, I mean, because most of the people that are listening to us, they tend to like they do play rank to an extent. Um, but I don't know how many of them are big time CDL followers like they go and they're going to be watching the starting uh, events coming up soon. 
how do you think the CDL has done overall with trying to grow the audience and trying to engage with more the pubs, you know, and just the casual players who maybe hop on once or twice a week compared to other sports like, you know, other franchise leagues like the NFL or the NBA, where they're always they, they've done such a good job. Granted, they've had more time, but that's their core audience. Uh, is your question like, what well, is it, is a question more about Activision or like Activision and what the teams and the players have done? Like, um, I would probably say with Activision. Um, I think that you, the first year and a half, I think they've made a lot of mistakes in terms of their social media approach. Again, I think the biggest mistake that Activision made was not bringing on Adam and the MLG's team and the people that built the scene of what it was and brought in all these new sports people that had kind of a twisted view on what esports was. I think they misunderstood that this isn't like Manchester United, Barcelona. There's not enough history in these clubs where yes, a superstar comes in a Galacticos and they're playing for a badge. that's meant something for a hundred years. Like even brands like Optigan phase were, at best nine or eight years old there was no history there um and so it's more about the superstars more about the players and i think they really failed to recognize how to market around those individuals until about um i think the middle of covid then they then they really started getting it and i think their social media vendor really started getting it uh in terms of a lot of the like extra content they did um so i would say they've done an okay but not amazing job i don't think that i think there's a lot of things that i would have done differently um, and I think they've corrected some of those lessons, but in the end of the day, I actually think there's only so much that the CDL can do as far as that marketing and growth. The best thing they can do to me is make the, uh, the league and the league content available on as many platforms as possible. The best marketing is always going to come from the players. The, the strength of the call of duty scene is actually just like with the NBA. It's about the drama, baby. Like it's mm -hmm. about all the beef on social media, about the people talking shit about each other on streams. Um, that stuff and being able for the league and the league really wasn't willing to talk about that stuff until esports engine, I think got involved. Um, and that was a key thing for us when we took, took over, started doing broadcasting in, um, in, uh, uh, cold war was just like, uh, not, not cold war rather the, uh, Vanguard was just like getting back to the roots of like, that stuff's not taboo to talk about. You know, GA is not taboo to talk about like people beefing with each other on Twitter, not taboo to talk about like. Sometimes showing Twitch corrupts on stream, we have to kind of censor them a lot. But like that stuff is what drives the conversation and gets casuals involved because then they understand the stakes, you know. Because so many, especially with 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 CDL, a lot of majority of the matches these online qualifier matches, they don't really have the stakes. Uh, but they sometimes do when you look at like what happened last year with Standy getting dropped from Ultra and going to Vegas, and suddenly they played each other like two weeks later. It's a match for a 10 CDL point, sure, but there was a lot of beef on the line because of the bad blood and sort of like so that's my kind of thought process on how they probably get done something better marketing wise. That, that totally makes sense. The, the COD drama is we live for that. And I'm sure any fan that follows the CDL, they they live for that. They love the player drama. Where do you lie on either focusing more on getting like competitive fans into following the CDL or trying to get the more casual fan base like our fan base into into the cdl do you think there's one way that uh the cdl should really focus on or do you think you know they should try to capture everyone i think to me there's two one is i think going back to more 
multi-game and I, I mean specific to like the cod ip like what they did at raleigh last year with major one mm-hmm. battle events i think like constantly creating sort of natural not forced ways that there's synergy between cod mobile call of duty warzone fans uh will help a lot of like word of mouth growth in these areas think um think of like what at the end mlg anaheim meant to the community in california by the end of it and you've seen what it does in like cs with like uh, events like Katowice and, and Cologne. Um, but that only gets you so far. I think as far as like online stuff, it always comes down to like, you know, promoting the league and sort of the league stuff within the game, um, within sort of launch content, talking about it more on, you know, investor calls and things like that. Um, I think there's only, like I said, there's only though, I think so much that Activision can do to make that crossover. Um, because I think that there are ways that the communities themselves aren't always going to be like compatible. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's always going to be different schools of thought between the, the pub community and the, and the comp community about, you know, uh, TTK about, um, snipers about, um, you know, the, to the GAs sneaking, like there's always going to be like sort of this sort of like a disconnect. Um, but I think what Activision can do best is just create more service space. And then kind of let the growth happen. The growth's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be explosive, likely. It's going to be casual, but it, or sort of going to be gradual rather. But at least create more pathways for it to happen. I think right now they're doing some things right, and I think there are things they can improve. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, and like what I had said before about my question regarding Activision, it also then lies on the teams individually too, right? Like there's some teams that do a really good job with the outreach aspect. And then, I mean, we both have watched the flank episodes and other um, COD talks and seen on Twitter where there's some teams that they, they put in little to no effort with trying to get people engaged or at least trying to build a fan base around their team, you know? Yeah. And like for us, we're, we're from the Boston area and Mike and I have always, we've been wanting a Boston team since we started the pod. And finally, when Boston decided to come in, and we we're very, very happy as fans that as soon as they jumped in, they started like running events. They started like getting their fans engaged. They started like yeah. hosting watch parties. And that, that goes a long way to getting a lot more people into the scene. I think for the, the Boston Oxygen group, um, what probably helps is, you know, they're, it's a combination of like, and I, I've, we worked with them a lot because obviously we did, we were at their major last year, we're going to be their major again this year. Um, I've known Adam Morrison for like a minute when he was at Reciprocity and now he's at Oxygen and the, the Breach guys, sort of the guys that are uh, involved with the craft side of that business are local guys from Boston, family from mm-hmm. Boston. They really care about trying to build something. Um, in that local market. And I think they've also recognized like kind of the voice the team needs to have. Like sometimes these teams come in non-endemics and they're like too gun shy and how they want to conduct themselves marketing wise. Like Boston has been definitely willing to like, you know, kind of get involved, especially with the subliners. I think that was like really the sort of first sort of social beef they had with the subliners. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's one example of a market that's done it great. I think example of a team, unfortunately in a, in a situation is, and poorly both in cdl and owl is the paris vegas franchise like they they put a minimal effort no wash parties they haven't done anything in marketing in in vegas they did some stuff in paris in the beginning they had, they had a very nice venue um but then COVID hit and i felt like always that that franchise has always been more of a like classic vc exit play like they got in 
take advantage of the valuation. They were hoping that it would 5X, then they can just sell the spot to someone else or license the spot and someone carry the cost and they can take all the upside. And they've been an example of, I think, some of the problem in this of just not really in it for the growth and the engagement. But like other franchises I want to shout, they're not endemics because the endemics, like your, you know, your LA Thieves, uh, Optic Texas, Atlanta Phase, like they know what they're doing. But but other teams like New York's done a great job. Minnesota Rockers done a great job. Um, or I think like to me, Toronto Ultra is another one that's done a really good job. There are other, other franchises in the league I think have done good jobs as well, but those in particular ones that I think have done a good job engaging the local market, running events, bantering on Twitter, like really getting involved. And now they're part of the identity of the scene as opposed to if the CDL ends or not, like, you know, some of the other franchises I think will just get lost the time. And those ones I think won't, the ones I named. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree. I mean, I think too, because of what you had touched on um, regarding those top teams have been around or had had a space in the league before um, and people had that brand, like they're familiar with it, that definitely carried them into the CDL. They just ended up riding with it. Um, and I think another thing too, and you can let me know if you agree or not, I think a big thing too is having these players um, showcased, like who they are as individuals. Um, I think there's a lot of these teams where like they don't show enough about these people. Like you don't get to see the skits. You don't get to see them just hanging out, relaxing and screwing around. Um, and like having that sort of team chemistry. Um, I think that's a big part of it too, for just a casual person. Cause we can all relate to that, you know, instead of just seeing them up on stage playing, because it's very hard to relate to that for anybody on a casual side. You agree with that? Yeah, and that's why I think like Optic has always done a good job of building their brand because they always keep that door open. You're always aware of what's going on behind the scenes with that team, and people feel like they're part of the unit. Now, there are some downsides when you keep that door that open. You get kind of this weird parasocial relationship, um, and it can have its issues. Like the team, the team was one of the slower teams to start scrimming this year because Fred had to wait to get his P1 visa approved, and so you know he didn't get in right away. And they got on, they played a scrim against an amateur team and got slammed and then they got bullied on like social media, Reddit, which was not great. But, you know, there's some franchises I think have done really poorly with their like behind the scenes stuff. You know, again, Paris Vegas, a good example, like has never really built a story around their team. Even when they had like Clay and Temp, who were two of the most outspoken, sort of unique personalities in the scene last year, they did zero content around them. Um, So, you know, again, that's another thing that got kind of lost in all of this is like, I think when all these teams had to spin up their businesses year zero, they didn't really know how to approach content game. Um, and a lot of people had bad hires. A lot of people then because of COVID got rid of their content team. And so you just, you, these, these, some of these franchises really just didn't get it. And still haven't gotten it about how to from their side, what they can do to grow the, the brands of these teams and players. Although I will say one perspective as always is there is some onus on the player to grow their individual brand as well. Like the team can only do so much as a player, you got to get out there, do podcasts, do interviews, be on social media, make videos, stream, like, you know, obviously some of these guys make six figures. Great. But like that only gets you so far as far as brand building and like winning, you know, tournaments, you got to actually get the other stuff going too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I definitely agree with that. Um, Not just for the player's sake, because I, you know, I mean, we've watched these players for like years now and, it's a shame to see some of them that chose not to do that, which they have every right to, uh, but choose to only compete. And like, you know, there's only so many spots in the league and now they're not in the league and now they have to go and, you know, figure out what they have to do 
like afterwards. Um, but just streaming and doing all of that, that helps a lot of casual people just even like jump into the scene. Like, you know, if you fall in love with the personality and then you start learning more about them, you're most likely going to follow what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. And you and you always look at this at the top people too, like scumpering these guys who always had big personalities and had a big following. The one thing that they all did was they were either a always in content or they were streaming all the time, you know, to people like the casual fan base who was just going to be hopping on Twitch and going to see who's playing Call of Duty, who's playing Warzone, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think Seth is, though, an extreme example because. You know, he got yeah. so big before really like when they were still playing for a hundred dollars that by the time it got really, really big, like he was an established brand. My thing is more of a criticism of players who have gotten in the league the last couple of years who, um, you know, there were a couple that like streamed a lot before they were pros and stopped streaming once they became pros. And I always talk to them. I'm just like, you're like, why, why'd you stop streaming? It's like, oh, well, you get a couple of excuses. Like, you know, it's a distraction from trying to get better on the team. Fair. But then I asked him, are you playing pubs at night? Yes. Are you playing eights at night? Yeah. Well, why don't you just turn your stream on for a couple hours mm -hmm. and just do that? Like, no one's asking you to stream eight hours a day. You know, Tommy, my co-host on the flank, like he was an example of someone when he was a pro. You know, he wasn't always able to consistently stream because he was bouncing to place to place sometimes, depending on where they were competing from. But when he could, he would stream, you know, eights at night. And that's how I think he was able to, start his post playing career with like a really good floor and then built up with his persona um so i always like tell pros especially if you come in the league first like start start doing some content if you don't want to do youtube do twitch it just has to be a couple hours a day a couple days a week you're going to be competing for a long time so eventually that audience will grow and grow and grow and by the time you want to do something with it you'll be at somewhere other than zero so now, is this a conversation that you would have a lot when you were working closely with these players um, and giving them this, this advice being like, look, because I mean, we've seen Hex talk about it a lot. He's like, look, this is not forever. Um, and you need to make sure that you've got a backup plan, especially too, because I mean, we know a lot of these guys too, they don't have an education background. They don't have a college degree that if gaming doesn't work out for them, competing doesn't work out for them. Maybe they don't want to stick with the esports side, like working on the back end they don't have much to fall back on. So was this a conversation that you would have often with these players? Mm, so my situation is a little bit different because when I came involved with that COD team, you know, the first iteration of it, like Clay had been streaming for forever, Attach streaming for forever, same with Zuma, same with Ian. So like enables so like that, but them didn't even have the conversation. And then the next team, you know, Crowder was also someone who used to stream and same with, you know, Preston, I just started, but like World War II, like that guy was a demon with a stream. Like he's playing like amateur eights every night for like four hours. So like didn't even need to have a conversation with him about that. And then when I was dealing with the, the Fortnite side, like all of those guys streamed because that's how they all blew up. Like it wasn't just by being cracked, like, you know, Fortnite players, like they were all content creators. I was the initial version of the team. And then even the FIFA team, like I was working with Taz. Well, Taz really grew up, uh, really blew up on his YouTube. Uh, game so i was lucky as far as when i was on the team business side i never really had to have that conversation i think post then like someone that i've you know tried to talk to a lot to get him to stream is is Selium. you know we had we had picked him up at uh, the tail end of my tenure phase in black ops 4 like when he just became 18 and eligible 
and he used to stream like a lot because he was like one of those guys like had you know he's in the sort of golden generation of him simp abizi ellie dashu dashu had turned pro a little bit earlier than them um but these are guys that had like been winning online tournaments for a while and like they weren't age eligible to play and so people knew like they're you know they're real prospects and then like mc came in the league and didn't really stream a lot and we would always be like but i know you're playing at night i know you're not just sitting there just watching anime like um <laughs> so i've constantly like pressured him to start streaming more i think the last few years he's actually done that especially in the beginning and sort of in the off season like he's always I, this off season like he was on benders bro like he he had, like multiple 24-hour streams this off season he's a good example of someone that's like you know i think he's got a really funny if you know him he's got a very unique and funny personality and i tell him that it's like you know it's like if you do that and you start to again start outside of him being i think by the time he retires probably one of the most talented players who ever play god like he'll have a, a brand to build on post gaming career so mm -hmm. that's kind of my perspective on it. i think a lot of people share it, it again i understand if you're a pro for some of them it's hard to do that because you feel like you've got to put all your energy into practice and then the work after practice so you can keep your spot in the league keep your spot as a top player uh but for many of them i think they have a good security there and what they're not doing is like doing the brand creation stuff that only takes a couple hours a day a couple hours a week out of their routine mm -hmm. um, yeah completely agree I, I would compare it to like mike and i working regular jobs to like an extent a lot of us when we work these uh these nine to fives after you know on a friday you don't really want to go and do anything afterwards sometimes you just want to go and chill um so i completely understand after you know even seeing like the boston like boys over there like scrimming and practicing for like hours and hours on end and then coming back and want it like not wanting the stream i completely understand but then it's that extra effort that like you know a lot of these guys that have blown up they do put that extra effort to stream and you you see the results of it agreed on that one thing i wanted to ask like pivoting off of uh this topic a little bit um do you feel like there's been somewhat of like a divide between like the casual fan base and the competitive fan base like recently or because of the the type of games coming out i mean divide has probably always been there mm -hmm. but i think the last couple of games once we got away from jetpacks which is probably the start of it really i think um I think it started to become bigger and bigger. You went to multi-platform. I think the SBMM definitely started to get way stronger, started getting rolling out the last couple of years. And then we had really two years with Vanguard and the last game where the TTK was like instant. And so the that creative, very difficult conversation about like how you balance guns, how you play. And I think at that point, the divide's definitely gotten a little bit bigger. Um, Keeping in mind that, you know, the competitive scene is 4v4 was 5v5 for a couple of years and back to 4v4 and you get in the pubs and it's usually 6v6 to, you know, whatever. If you're playing like war or something, it's a little mm -hmm. more, but um, yeah, like that on itself always created a little bit of like a disconnect, but I think the last couple of games have made it worse just purely on, on the design decisions they made. Yeah, because um, Mike and I have talked about it, like a lot of our friends, they, they really like the MW2. And they liked Vanguard when both of us, we definitely side more uh, towards the competitive side. And we're always surprised that, you know, they actually really, really enjoyed that game because I think they feel like they have 
a better of a chance to, you know, win their one-on-one gunfight because it's ETKs so fast. Um, and I know uh, Zuma or Tommy, for people that don't know, he he is always saying that, you know, casuals really don't care if you take away like sneaking, for example, hot topic that everyone's been talking about. That I will 100% agree with. I know for a fact all my friends that play COD that do not snake besides Mike and I. Yeah. Like, I don't think many people even know, like most of them don't even know what that is, you know? Um, so I think that's where it's tough because like, I mean, I think it was one of your last episodes that you guys had done together. Um, this was a huge topic about how there's not enough development and enough care that's gone into the professional side um, as compared to the casual side where I totally agree with that. And I think it's, I think it's kind of wild that, there is so much emphasis on this stuff because at the end of the day, 95% of the people who play this game will play it no matter what, you know, like people always complain about call of duty, how it's the worst thing ever, or this is going to be the one that kills cod, but then all they care about and what you see every time, like a couple of weeks after MW two, number one selling cod of all time, MW three, number one selling cod oh. of all time, you know? So they're just like, well, the 95% of our player base likes this game. So what's the, what's the problem then, you know? Yeah. I mean, sneaking. listen, I'm glad that we were able to, at least in the comp scene for now, get rid of sneaking. We'll see how long it sticks for. We go in your average pub. People don't know about getting out of, you know, prone to sprint and all that. And you know, that the last point you made is something I brought up a lot on the flank and like, goes over people's heads. Like, I don't think they realize that, it is for some of the demands of the comp scene, even the war zone scene, it's some of them may be difficult to do just because people at these studios are going to point to the revenue numbers and say, well, clearly we're making the right decisions because you're making money executive A and C and B I'm making money as a studio head. So why we change what we're doing? Because we're the biggest entertainment launch of the year. We're the, one of the top three selling COD games of all time. Why would we deviate from the strategy we're doing as far as, you know, launch MTX, like how we make money over the course of the year. So it's, it's, it's tough. Um, I don't see that the, I don't see how the casual competitive divide as far as game, like um, design and like light flow, like from spawn to dying. Like I, I just, all the pieces that I don't just don't see how they get reconciled at a high level because I think mm -hmm. the schools of thought are like completely different, right? Like comp players are not, just hauling down a lane, locking down a lane when they play pubs, going, you know, sitting on one heady, just kind of farming, you know, popping mm -hmm. new AV. Like, comp players want to roam, they want to switch lanes, they want to get more active against spawn traps like Snake, like, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, I don't, I just don't see how those things get reconciled. But I do think that to the point you made earlier in the show, like, there definitely should be attempts to cross over those fans. And I think, you know, uh, get, casual fans to know that hey there are potentially this event going on in your area you like call of duty come check it out there's a thing at this theater this convention center and top teams are playing might be some words and stuff going on there some common old stuff check it out your cod fan there's cod stuff going on come come through and see if you like it now something going off of that um because i absolutely agree i mean that's one of the things that we really like uh, that the breach does is they do have these watch parties that you can go and actually watch the games um but i was going to ask your thought on this do you think there should be way more events going on throughout the year. I mean, I can already kind of assume your answer, but 
Do you think that's a big problem with Call of Duty right now is there's only a handful of live events that you get to go and see these guys play in person as compared to when you're talking about during the uh, the MLG CWL, like before franchising? Yeah, I mean, Advanced Warfare and Ghost, like, you know, those games released in November, the season basically ran until September, and you had an event probably like every three weeks. And you had your sort of big temples, you had champs, and you had these smaller, uh, like, plus double locals and then you obviously had locals as well so like there was a lot more events going on there now when you look at the cdl structure season starts next weekend there's four majors and then champs so and champs is like the middle of july it seems like so at that point like you know it's what uh eight months to have five events is like not a lot um and so i do think there needs to be more events i think that there needs to be more support and uh uh for more like grassroots or more like open based events because right now the way the events are structured doesn't drive participation you know the old mlg structure and you see it with like hcs or in the halo series halo championship series for example the way that that works is you've got these partner teams they're guaranteed to be in the championship pool play but if you're an open player if you're a random player you can sign up through the open bracket and if you play good enough your team plays good enough you're going to get into the championship side of the thing and you got a chance to really place well and actually like maybe crack it as a pro right now in cod that doesn't happen the last time we had a pro-am was raleigh major one last year and we're not doing it again this year for no inexplicable you know no real reason i assume other than maybe a budget but we need more events i think one i think two if you want or a fan looking for more events i think they're going to happen in two ways one I think will be good. One I think is going to be majorly controversial. The first way, and they're both involved the same company too. Um, so Esports Engine, as of last January, got bought by a parent company, or, or Esports Engine's parent company, Vindex, got bought by a group called Savvy Gaming Group, which is backed by the uh, uh, PIF, which if you're in the finance world or the business world, the PIF is basically the sovereign wealth fund. Of Saudi Arabia and, and Savvy Gaming Group also owns ESL Face It, DreamHack, etc. So now all these production companies, these events, uh, big esports events and gaming festivals are all kind of all under one company. I foresee a world where you're going to get more probably starting next season, the season after that, like more Call of Duty stuff at DreamHacks, at you know your ESL One events at IEMs, and so there should be more service space for these events to happen. What's going to happen though, or I think the controversy is going to start to happen, is you're probably going to see, you know, you guys have probably heard about Esports World Cup, which is um, the old Gamers 8 festival that Saudi Arabia used to run. They basically announced about a month or two ago that they're rebranding it to this Esports World Cup thing. Expectation is, you know, Activision, Activision Blizzard, Microsoft titles will probably be there next year. So you're going to have, you know, you're going to have Call of Duty event in Saudi Arabia, which, you know, that's a whole can of worms. So. I think I think I see more events happening in the future. I think it's a great pathway to get more growth and engagement. I think they're going to theoretically these additional service space of events would be more open or should be more open participation stuff. So like you get that funnel of people wanting to come to participate and then they'll stay around to watch when their team gets eliminated. Um so hopefully we go down that path because this limited sort of like franchise model where we only get five events in seven months is just it's bad. And then you end up having most of the real competition is these online matches, which, you know, they're great in December and January when I've seen the teams play for the first time. 
I'm telling you, people really aren't tuning in, in in April and May to watch bottom teams in the league play each other uh, for for games that really don't have championship stakes to them. That's totally fair. That's definitely like regular sports too. Why would? <laughs> well, what's the incentive of watching a, a bottom tier like team in the NFL that you know that's not going to make it to the playoffs? Like the Patriots right now, bro. Like the, the listen, I'm a Giants fan, and, and <laughs> the right. next Monday Night Football game is the Giants versus the Packers. The Packers might make the playoffs. Giants are. Four and eight. They're not making the yeah. playoffs. Yeah, like, bro, we're yeah, I mean, we're dedicated Pats fans here. I mean, we don't want to talk about it. You know? <laughs> yeah, so you're the, the Giants, dude. The Giants and the Pats just played each other. Let me tell you, yeah. that was that was the game was entertaining, but entertaining if you're a sicko football fan. Not, <laughs> yeah. It was now because it was last night's, you know, Eagles um Bills. Oh, sorry, last night's no. Cowboys uh uh Seahawks game that ended up like 35 40 or you know, Washington Oregon tonight that should be in our high scoring game. Like those are entertaining games. But yeah, I feel you in that just a the problem with they misjudge, I think again because trying to be too much like the NFL, like the NBA, they want to have this regular season that gets into the playoffs. But really, that's backwards to like what we've learned in esports over the years, which is people don't want to see random online matches. They want to see more events. They want to see people on stage. That feeds into a point system, determines who makes it to the the postseason event, and then that's your real like apex moment. So we'll see. We'll see if the scene. And Activision Blizzard, now they merge with Microsoft. Like They kind of figure out how to go back to the roots of what made it good to begin with. Yeah. Now, something um, I want to go ask you, because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that aren't familiar with him and his work, Adam Apicella. I know you're very close with this guy. Um, when the CWL, or when that was around and it was like MLG as well, he had a big impact on what was going on with the scene. How do you think he would have run that differently? Can you give some insight into how it would have been if it stayed like that? If if Adam was like the commissioner of the CDL instead of like Johanna, per se? Well, yeah, that. But if it didn't end up going into more of this franchise league that we have now, like because building off of what you said, it's now a lot of people who are trying to run this like yeah. it's the NFL, like it's the NBA. Um, how do you think for our audience it, it would have been? Because I think it, you would give some good insight since you worked so closely I, I with I think them. what you would have gotten is what HCS year one ended up being, which is you would have had these um, – I think it would have pivoted because basically what they were experimenting with – so Adam's probably talked about this a bit on I think some podcasts, um, and I've talked about it, of like MLG in the last couple of years, the CWL, the predecessor of the CDL, or transition more to league formats that would then like transition nicely into the franchise model. But where Halo went actually, which is where I think Call of Duty would have gone if CDL didn't happen, is okay, you would have had these partner teams that have guaranteed spots. They get revenue, they get MTX, they get a lot of benefits, but they're not all the teams that compete at the top level. There's a feeder for other teams to be involved with those competitions. So I think what Adam probably would have done if he were in that position is advocated for what you saw with Halo, which is they don't have these regular season online matches. They have the occasional, you know, pro series, which is basically the land format. They just do it online for points proceeding. And then you would have your sort of land temples. It all feeds into sort of an end of season event with LCQ before it. I think you would have gotten the Halo format in COD. And that's what was basically the MLG way for a very long time. It's just a slight twist on it with the partner model. And that would have gotten you the best of both worlds. You would have been able to bring in maybe some non-endemic partners that want to spin up, make an organization, but they need the guarantee that they can compete at the top level. Okay, get them in the partner program. 
um, but you still keep your endemics. You can still keep, you know, the, the big core friend, the big core fan bases before CDL were phase optic towards the tail end, a hundred thieves. Once Nate shot kind of spun off and did his own thing. And you had some, you had some teams sort of scatter fan bases in Europe from some of the big organizations like a vitality, uh, heretics, obviously has a very big fan base. Now we're getting back involved. And those were the sort of temples. And then you kind of blew that up and brought these new brands in. So that's how I think Adam would have done it. I don't have, when I've talked to him about it, cause I know he's not a major fan of the city-based franchising. I think that would have, that would have satisfied some of the desire to have a sort of like tiered system, but still like not really get rid of the participation in the path to pro element that I think made esports great prior to the franchise model rolling out and Activision Blizzard esports and Riot esports, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Do you, or really quick, do you think that the path to pro, like when there's some of these um, other franchise leagues and, and sports, you can see that there is a path. Like if you're going to be in any of them, there is college levels that you can be playing at. There's, you know, scouts that are going to be eventually recruiting or do look to recruit. Um, do you think that Call of Duty or esports in general, do you think it, it will grow to that at some point where there will be universities that have major like majors for esports, or they have that as a sport where there will be scouts from phase or from optic that are looking to bring these people on um, and have them on an amateur team. Or maybe if they're, they really show out, they can have them on a professional team. I think so, because I think the biggest barrier to that right now are probably two entities, the NCAA, which we, we probably spent two hours talking about the issues, the NCAA, <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, uh, I think probably the other kind of barrier is, um, you guys know the Endeavor Talent Agency, right? Mm. Um, well, they own a lot of, or they have the intellectual property rights uh, on a lot of like branding and merchandise for a lot of these major Power Five and other universities. And so anytime you do any kind of big college thing that are using sort of that official branding instead of like an offshoot esports program branding, like they're gonna need to be at the table. Um, so that's the complexities of building something bigger out than what you've seen with these grassroots efforts like College Cobb, which I think is great. And we've seen some College Cobb players like Dan Gosey actually make it to the pro level, and he you know, ended up on Optic last year. Like They were a very good team, made a grand finals, like, and Dan's obviously on LA Thieves now. Um, I do think eventually there'll be scouts, um, I do, but that's, I think, 10, 15 years down the line. I don't think there's a five-year thing. I don't think the organizations are going to spend that money to... 70 or 80 grand a year for a scout for the possibility of finding somebody. This isn't like, you know, this isn't like the NFL where you have a 50 man roster. So if you're investing, you know, low six figures into a scout and they bring you like one or two absolute diamond or rough guys, like you've already made that value in spades, you would have to find on a four man esports team, like quite a few people for it to be worthwhile. But I do think eventually the organizations will get big enough than the collegiate and the high school levels, especially We'll get built out enough that I think definitely those will be worth paying attention to if you're an Oregon starting to like, you know, find people and maybe, you know, once they get of age, actually start like tendering content deals and starting to get their sort of rights to be able to tender a contract to them. I do think we'll eventually go down that path. I know Mike and I, we've we've seen a lot of uh, college players like uh, over at uh, Helix where uh, the breach practice, um, they host a lot of like college tournaments and a lot of like the New England colleges are always there like competing um and i i I think that's great that's great that breach is doing that just to you know 
show out like uh, you know there's still there's talent out there even at the college level you don't need to not go to college and just do this full time if if you don't want to there is another path um obviously it's it's a lot harder uh going that route but you know but yeah more colleges need to do this though man because when you were at umass amherst didn't you play on a team or you played like you played some games at a college level yeah i played like at tournaments and stuff but i was never on the the official team um because they're i mean again they're scrimming like eight to ten hours a day i'm like i can't do that with my like college classes <laughs> um but it wasn't fully developed like it is now like there are colleges now that have a full-out esports like program yeah yeah there there are like a number of i think the like sort of temple college college schools like northwood that really have offered like full rides to people i think it's just really early in that space though mm-hmm. Um, because I think what their their major market is really amateur players who mm-hmm. used to be pros or borderline pros trying to get them to sort of not ring, but like, you know, sort of buy in the top end of being able to get that prestige win. But I do think what you're going to see with these esports as they exist in 10 or 15 years is you're going to have a like lower level of, of competition at the middle school, high school level. Especially for more mature titles, because you're not going to see that elementary level. But once people come of age to actually play the game, they'll be able to do it. And then there'll be some kind of college level competition of what that exists. And then you've got the pro side of it. Um, I know for the publishers, the reason the the publishers have tried to get into the college space, but again, for the reasons I outlined earlier, aka the NCAA and the talent agencies, I think it's hard for them to have really built anything, something crazy major, just because of the amount of stakeholders and regulations and other policy that sort of exists in order to really build something good mm-hmm. on top of the fact that in collegiate sports anyway i think the ncaa is eventually not going to exist but again that's a topic for not the cod casuals that may be for more of a sports podcast <laughs> yeah it's going to be interesting to see where we end up with it over the uh the course of five to ten years um because i mean like with the kids that I work with every day, I mean, that's the one thing that they can pretty much all talk about is esports or talk about gaming. Yeah. Um, they all talk about it's either Fortnite or it's Warzone, you know? Um, and it's like, that's their future. Like the, a lot of those kids, they want to either be content creators or they want to go in. Like I've told them, like, have you ever thought about being a pro player? You know? And they're like, you can actually do that. I'm like, oh yeah, you can. Like you can just play for a living, you know? Um, which I think nowadays that's way more common. Like most people today would, they want to play video games for a living or they want to build their whole life around yeah. like playing games or making content. Yeah. It's that it wasn't like that when I grew up, I, I graduated yeah. like not that long ago, mm-hmm. uh, but like 10 years ago, but like, you know, yeah, I think, I think eventually for people that are in school now, that, that is a path. Although I will say like for being, you know, like a top level pro one that's you're there for a couple of years. Like that's the 1% of the 1%. Like it is, it is a difficult role, but I do think that you're going to see a path where, you know, um, people can go to college and get a ride and scholarship to be able to, you know, learn, but also compete. And then post-graduation, maybe there's an opportunity for them, you know, competing at a high level in one of these organizations. Again, I don't think that's five year horizon. I think that is a lot longer than that, but, uh, and who knows what titles we're going to be playing 10 years down the line. Might be playing VR by then. We might not be on PC. Who knows? But yeah, who knows? I do think that esports is is here to stay. And it's it's so early. 
I mean, this is like, I'm comparing this to like, we're only in like, to use the MLB terms, like we are in like 1900s, 1910s baseball. Like we're not, we're not like in the like, you know, big bright lights, like cookie cutter arena era. Like this is really early. The organizations themselves from a business standpoint are fairly early stage, even though they raised a lot of money, those businesses generally haven't really blossomed to be able to match that kind of raise potential. Like we're still very early in the industry and, um, on all sides of it, I think there's still a lot of growth to be had. Completely agree, Ben. I, I know we we hit the one hour mark, but we just want to say, you know, thank you for coming on. Like, we appreciate you, like, taking the time, just chopping it up with us. We've got, like, you know, some quick questions that we just want to, like, end with. So we'll start off with the first one. Are you excited about, like, basically all East Coast events this year? <laughs> Am I excited? And, and what city are you excited to come visit? Um, I kind of like all the cities. I mean, look, I would have liked some West Coast or at least a Europe event this year. So that kind of really sucks. Like, we'd love to have gone to like a London or Madrid and West Coast. Like, we haven't been to Anaheim in years, and that's always been like used to be like the prestige event. Like, we've never done an event in Seattle, um, California. We haven't been to in a while. Vegas was great last year, even though I stayed a couple days too much longer in Vegas after that event, which was a mistake. I was there for like nine days. It was like seven days too many. Nine days in Vegas. Oh, dude, it's bad by the end. Because um, my friend uh, Nameless, like white. <laughs> yeah, so my friend Nameless, who's one of the casters in the Call of Duty, he had his like bachelor party in Vegas after the event. So we had a great time, but like I, I flew back and I was like, I don't want to talk to anybody for two days. <laughs> Did you go to the casinos at all, Ben? I lost too much money. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, East Coast events. Listen, I'm excited for all of them. Um. I wish the order was a little bit different. Like if it were me, I wish we would go to Charlotte first because I know that even in January, Charlotte would be like pretty good. Florida March is like the best. Like that is, that is prime Florida season right there. I'm bringing my golf clubs. Tom and I are even talking about like doing some really cool stuff at that event. Um, I'm excited for Boston major one, even though it's going to be in the winter last year. Um, venue is great. By the way, MJ music hall, completely new venue. Super nice, great sidelines no matter where you sit. The Boston team's great at planning. Uh, it just sucked last year how cold it was. Um, oh, yeah, and that, like, yeah. you know, I would love if it was like, it would be a banger. If they were running those events, like, same time that baseball games are going on, like at Fenway and you can, oh, like, you know God. what I mean? Like, that, that would be sick, but it sucks that they, you know, where they could fit in the calendar. But I still think the event would be good. Uh, for um, me, I, the yeah. event now, like, with Anaheim not being a yearly thing, there's one event now that we've ran pretty much every year. I love and that's Toronto. I'm a New Yorker, so Toronto to me is basically like Canada's version of New York, and I always love going there. Uh, and again, they keep doing it like end of May, June, so it's like perfect time, like like spring, like another event. I'm bringing my golf clubs too, because let me tell you, the golf in Toronto is great. Um, but I always go there for like a full week. Like I literally normally I fly to events on like a Tuesday, sit up Wednesday, Thursday to Friday, Saturday, Sunday's the event, and fly on Monday. Usually stay Monday, play golf, and then fly out that night. Toronto, I always am like, because I got friends in Toronto. I'm like, listen, I'm getting first flight from Columbus, Ohio. I'm there like 7.50 a.m. on that customs line. Like, I'm good to go 8.30, like Monday. Like, let's let's go play 18 when I get in. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm excited for that. Um, and then the rumor for champs that's been reported is Dallas, downtown Dallas at the American Airlines Arena, which would be really cool. Because um, that area is actually really nice in Dallas. If you've ever been down there, it's sort of like the arena kind of arts the district of Dallas, which is really nice. We've been out at Arlington the last couple of years, which uh, I really like ESA Sports Stadium, Arlington. 
space that uh, Optic runs is really nice, but Arlington is a very, that part of Arlington's a very like, they've just started building the area up because you have Eastport Stadium, Arlington, you've got the new ballpark, you've got the old ballpark, and you've got AT&T Stadium, so it's more of like a sports complex. It's really more of a suburban area than it is like downtown Dallas, which is just popping, so. That's kind of my assessment of the event space this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always, but I wish we, I wish we had a West Coast event this year, man. I wish we were going to like California or Vegas again or Seattle or something like that. And I wish we were going to an event in Europe. I was excited. I was like, you know, let's Harry Texas come in and we do something in Madrid, like London. We talked about a London event for forever. So it hasn't happened since the first year of COD, like first year of uh, the CDL. Like it sucks because I've been to London a couple of times. That's a great mm-hmm. city. Yeah, I, I I always feel for the the European fans. Yeah, they've gotten screwed big time. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of it is they've gotten screwed because of two reasons. One is that to run events in Europe, like I say, a CDL event, the CDL Activision, all of their gear, all of their stuff is in the U.S. Mm-hmm. so monitors even stuff like monitors is like getting that in europe i can tell you is not easy like it, like it is hard pcs the production gear you need a lot of help on the ground in europe from either a local production partner or from the franchises because you know it's sort of the whole home market area thing there used to be a london franchise um so the cost driver and then and then that's not even accounting for like t e for everybody right the travel everybody coming over from north america so there's that um and i think the other the other issue is just like some again nfl nba people being concerned about like time zone stuff which i think is is not a valid complaint of like oh well then we're not live like prime time hours east coast west coast time the u.s and i'm like well you're thinking about this the wrong way like saturday sunday and people are passionate about esports and it's like february like where do you think people are you know, on the East Coast, they're at home mm-hmm. because it's snowing outside. Like, yeah, maybe on the West Coast a little bit differently because the weather's always nice on the West Coast unless you're in Pacific Northwest, but um, or like Wyoming. But I don't think that was a valid complaint. So that's why we we haven't had a European event uh, in a couple of years. I think once we move away from the franchise model, because the savvy group that you know esports engine ESL face it whatever they run a lot of events in europe i think we'll start to see them come back we'll, we'll probably see at least one probably i hope next year year after maybe expand beyond that but man those european crowds if you go watch videos of like cwl london cdl london um any european counter-strike event european league of legends event you're going to realize very differently how much better this is not to diss on north american crowds or fans but how much better the European fans and then like environment European events are. It's actually crazy. They know what they're doing. Yeah. I, I want to go to one really bad again. Like my, there ha- hasn't been many, uh, East coast events in, in terms of COD until like now lately. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, Mike and I have taken full advantage of that. You know, we're, we're going to be at, at Boston. Um, super excited for it. Like you said, I, I wish it was during the spring. Uh, but, because Boston during the the springtime is amazing. It's, it's beautiful, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I, well, and that was good about the New York event too, that because that was our first major that we'd ever gone to, and that that was an awesome, awesome venue. Yeah, it was. It's an awesome venue. A weird spot in the city. I'm gonna be honest. It's a, it's it a was, cool, yeah. cool venue, but I mean that part of Brooklyn's a little 
we'll say interesting. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Um, it's tough because New York's an expensive market to run events. Um, I feel for the subliners team, but um, yeah, I mean, we historically I haven't had events in New York or Boston for a very long time in COD up until the last couple of years. As far north as they used to go was like Philly. UMG would run events in Philly, but like I, the last, like generally MLG, CWL was always like as far north they would go as like South Carolina, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, on the East Coast side, there was um, what year was it? It was like MLG Providence. I remember I was begging my parents to like, oh, it's so bring long me ago. Yeah, I want to say Providence is like 2011, 2012. Yeah, 2011 sounds right. I just remember begging long. my parents to to bring me. They're like, "What? It, we're not yeah. driving you there." <laughs> Providence is is pretty nice. I, I we, we drive through it a lot. I used to go to Cape Cod vacations with my family. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with the commentary, but I'm glad. Listen, you know, and the Boston team I think is committed to really activating that area on a yearly basis. The venue is is beautiful. It's a beautiful space. Um, I think last year they had challengers. They had their amateur competition at Fenway, which is cool, but it was literally too cool. So, uh, as in <laughs> the air with a box, they were doing like a um, luxury box slash like hospitality space. It's obviously built for when baseball is going on from like April to, you know, to October. And Fenway is not a new stadium, one of the oldest stadiums in baseball. So I wouldn't say the heating is readily available in that space. So they've moved, I think, across the street to House of Blues this year, which should be a little bit of a better experience. But I'm excited for Boston. We've already got like Tom and I, we already booked like our hotels for that event. I already got plans on like where I want to eat. I've been talking to um, uh, one of the pro players. Um, hang out obviously friends with a couple of pro players but like a couple of people i always like sightsee with the days after events or like you know do all this because some of their like um some of them haven't done like the touristy boston stuff like you know seeing all the revolutionary war mm-hmm. stuff like you know city hall like all, all that stuff i'm so that on the monday after the event hopefully not too long over yeah because <laughs> last year was bad last year last year we went to the casino sunday night and uh, uh you don't remember that night no i remember but the problem is okay. i had to record a video monday morning and i was, I woke oh, up and I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh my god i made a huge fucking mistake on my own. yeah the, the pedia yeah. light was right next to you the entire time i was I, 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 I pre-bought gatorade so at least i liked that part oh, right, but, yeah, yeah, but like yeah. i was you had a game plan uh, dude i went back and watched that video recently i was like uh man i'm really hung over in this video luckily <laughs> when we went and got like i went and got like had tie after the video um shout out uh, <laughs> shout out jerica who's um simp uh one of the pro players uh girl um she was like yeah, let's go get pad tie before we go do some sightseeing i'm like oh please i beg of you this food was the best <laughs> but yeah no I'm, I'm excited i'm excited for boston excited for uh florida where we haven't been back there in a sec um slash miami area and then toronto obviously we were there last year always a great event and then carolina we haven't done a Charlotte event in a while for COD, so that should be cool. And then obviously it seems like we're going back to Dallas, which is sort of a yearly. I've been going to Dallas every year for like seven years. So it's always a good time in Texas. Yeah, we want to make it out to Texas at some point. We we haven't been to a Texas event. Uh, Dallas is nice. Um, big metro area. Um, uh, obviously, it seems like they're going to be doing it at the NBA arena downtown. Uh, which will be really nice because it's a, one of the best NBA arenas in the country. Um, 
and Dallas is a cool city. There's a lot. There's a lot to do in Dallas. Uh, food, entertainment, nightlife. Like, if you guys go down, I think you'll have a good experience. I will say, if it's like though, you know, middle of July, you're not gonna be wearing pants. So, oh yeah, no, kind of no. leave all that winter gear, all that long sleeve gear away. I'm telling you, it's gonna be pretty warm in yeah, Dallas. Ain't bringing this, no way. No, no. it's gonna be like nine <laughs> degrees, brother. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna want, you're gonna want t-shirts, shorts. Definitely don't be wearing any black shirts, um, because then you're gonna sweat through them. You got if you got that nice synthetic gear, that'll be the best call. Yeah, we're no, not. You, you joke. We're not built you, for that. You joke, but like, because I have to set up our situation at events, and like, I always wear. Um, anything is like, especially on those Wednesdays, I always wear like, especially when we're at summer events, and they're not always pumping the AC in the building on Wednesdays because if people isn't there yet, oh, I always like golf polos, like synthetic cool. shirts, because it's just like, bro, it, it is. It ain't Boston in January. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah i mean man, it's funny because like I mean, we've been in new england our whole life like you know sometimes like yeah you got those hot summer days but man they don't compare because i mean i'm a big uh i'm a big f1 fan and i remember i went to this was uh, a couple years ago i went to the uh, circuit of the americas there for the race and i couldn't believe how fucking hot it was i lived in austin I was, bro i feel you on that I was like, I, I was stunned. I was like, this is, it was hot anyway, where we were in New England. I was like, I'll bring my shorts, bring some shirts. We'll be good. You know, no, it, it was a whole nother level. There's no you clouds, know, bro. There's, there's no, no clouds, there's no trees. There's no in the of America's. It's, there's it's no wind. There's no wind. It's a dry heat. Uh, I lived in Austin for like six years. And I could tell you like the winters are great because it's like light jacket season at best, maybe a light fleece. But man, the summers are brutal, bro. You go outside and you're like, "Yeah, I'm good." <laughs> you're like, "I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm gonna, you know, I like, like, uh, you know, like, I, I think I'll stay in my apartment today." But yeah, I feel, I feel you on that. Luckily, like, middle of July won't be too bad for Dallas. If it was like the beginning, we used to have champs like beginning and middle of August. That is when it goes from being like 96, 98 to being like <laughs> one hundred five. <laughs> And then, then then you're then you're really in you know in different territory at that point. <laughs> Man, that that sounds rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I am lived through for six years. Let me tell you, it was it's not great. Yeah, I, like I, I said, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, I, I went to go visit Austin like uh, a couple of weeks back, and it was still ninety five degrees. Yeah, and it was oh. so hot. <laughs> it, it it is, and then like the fall in Austin's weird because you get like. In Texas, because you get a lot of the, they get like they go through the smoky season there, where they get sometimes the blowover from the fires in Central America, like farming, agriculture stuff, and then you so you get this weird like it's hot and then it's also like smoky. It's just gross. You go from the summer being hot to like this couple weeks in the fall where it's just like you don't want to be outside, the mm -hmm. air quality and like. But the trade off is that November, December, January, February, March are beautiful there, because it's like maybe at, at maybe a highest 60s at lowest if you get a freeze it's like in the 30s it never really gets colder than the 30s uh mostly just like perfect light jacket weather season like austin's got a big like rooftop bar outdoor bar scene and they break the heaters out of his cold but it's still like dude like it was always the best in the winter because you could still sort of hang out but here like i live in columbus ohio i'm telling you like in like three weeks like it's going to be like the, I'm not going outside to like, you know, my friends are like, want to do stuff. I'm like, just make sure it's indoors at a place. I don't got to like, 
you know, truck too far because it might be 20 degrees and <laughs> right. windy. You just never know. It's less bad in Columbus. My, I have a friend of mine lives in, you still in Chicago and that's the place where it's, it, if you ask me to visit Chicago in December, I'm saying hell no. January. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll come for a couple for days, it. but outside of that, not it. Oh, well, Ben just want to say like, you know, thank you for hopping on. Um, wanted to end it off with one question. What advice would you give like your younger self after knowing, you know, all, all the stuff that you've learned so far? Younger self. <clears throat> I would say the biggest piece of advice I'd give to my younger self is just valuing relationships more. Um, the biggest piece of advice I can give to anybody, especially if you're trying to get involved in the gaming, the esports scene, because it's so new is a lot of it is how, you, you know, a lot of it is relationship based and, um, you know, and what you know, and your relationships with people. So like not burning bridges, always trying to maintain those relationships is really key. Cause you never know when you're going to connect with those people again. Um, so that would be a piece of advice I'd give to a younger version of myself. I love it. Great, great advice. Cause <laughs> Mike and I have definitely realized that. <laughs> Yeah, relationships are 100%. very, very important. Um, but yeah, Mike, do you, do you have anything else? I don't think so, man. I think we're uh, I think go here. Um, yeah, I don't think so. All right. Well, yeah, Ben, again, thank you. Thank you for, for coming on. Uh, we were very surprised that you DM'd us back very quickly. Um, and yeah, I was mid flank when you, you met. You messaged me and I was mid flank and I was like, I bet I'm down. Like, oh really? Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we were we were doing that the the like the sink the we were talking about GAs and I was like, mm -hmm. like Chris and Pat were arguing and I was like tuning out for a sec. <laughs> I saw you guys DM me. I was like, oh, I bet. Like, oh, actually, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. And just so you know, too, like the whole reason why Mike and I started the COD Casuals because we saw you and Tommy starting the flank and you guys were talking about competitive COD and we just always felt like there there was not really a voice for like just a lot of casual players that want to get into the competitive scene and don't get me wrong like for the most part mike and i agree with everything that you and tommy say um but you know there's a lot of casual fans that don't even know that competitive call of duty is like a thing so yeah we want more and more people to like jump in the scene yeah that's been our goal since day one yeah and we didn't talk much about warzone on this like i, I think probably the same for a lot of people that grind Horizon as well you know like we uh, a big listen i'll tell this story just the end like and i've said this a couple times like big inspiration for me and tom starting the flank was actually hector rodriguez over at optic because back when i used to manage tom and we'd go over to um you know the hex quarters a famous space that hector had in frisco which actually i believe they literally closing down like this weekend uh weirdly enough for the story but anyway it's a great hex quarter story and timing on that uh was we'd go there for boot camps and then hector would hear me and tom like argue or some irrelevant BS. And he's like, dude, you two need to get a content. You two need to make content together. Like, I think there's literally, if you Google it, I think if you Google like me, Tommy, Hector tweet, I think you'll find a tweet from Hector from like, probably like 2017 or something. Like I would pay any amount of money to have Zuma and Ben do like a content series together. And so when Tom retired, like, you know, we had, um, you know, the uh, Nameless had done a show that was similar, but slightly different called the podcast, but it stopped and Tom were like, well, that's a little bit of inspiration, but you know, I'm glad that you guys have taken root on that. I know that repulls and the pulls check, which is they sort of do what we do, but for the war zone scene is in our show. I think anyone that creates more content around the COD scene is great. I know active talking to people, Activision blizzard 
they're always very supportive of, of shows like this because uh, to them, they just want the community to interact with each other in any form. Um, so I'm glad that we were able to inspire you guys and thank you guys for inviting me. And I'm happy to come on whenever, man. Like if you guys want to shoot the breeze every couple of months, let me know. I'm always down to hop on. Yeah, Hell yeah man. We love that. Yeah, thank man. you again. We appreciate it. Yeah. And we want to say too, like if uh, I know, I know you guys are coming to Boston, probably don't need anything, but again, like anybody that comes on the show, we always say, if you ever need anything, feel free to send us DM anything. Um, not transactional. We're here. Like want to be your friend, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let it, anything you need, just let us know. Listen, if you guys got good restaurant and bar recommendations in Boston, send them my way. Cause I'm oh, I got to, you. I'll uh, we'll we'll send you a list. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to lock, I'm, I'm trying to lock them in. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get to do like one nice dinner on like Wednesday night before the, when the events start, I'm out of there by like 10 30. Mm -hmm. I'm like, whatever's open at that point. But yeah, bro, when we see you at the event, we'll let you know. All right, but we'll just, be there. Just if you guys got a list, just, or anyone watching yeah, the show like the is list, a list, DM you, yeah. my DMs are open. Just, just let me know because, like, yeah. Tom, Tom, and I especially are always trying to find. We're with Tuesday and Wednesday are the best days for us. We're always trying to find and get good local spots. So people have recommendations. We're, we're down to check them out. Hundred percent. Oh yeah. Well, again, thank you everyone for listening. This has been episode one forty eight of the Cod Casuals. Again, thank you to Ben for giving us his time and hopping on. Um, we're on anchor.fm slash the cod casuals we're on all streaming platforms if you're listening on spotify uh we would appreciate a five-star review because it definitely helps us out a ton uh we also post a poll and question over there too so we'd love to see what you guys think um we're also posting on instagram and tiktok so if you guys don't want to listen to the the whole episode you can go over there we definitely we clip it up and you can go check everything out there and I think that's it, man. Yeah. And it will also uh, be sure to, to include every uh, link for Ben's socials in the description as well. So be sure if you don't follow him, um, you do have a, a streaming schedule that you stick to. You're also, like I said, host of the flank. So you guys are always going live whenever. So be sure to give him a follow on Twitter to know whenever he's going live um, to check out his stuff as well. Because we watch it. It's good stuff. Especially if you like sure sports. Guys. Go check Ben yeah. out. I, I chat yeah. a lot about sports. You know, yeah. I'm about to have a. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for the next couple of days. You're a sports fan. This is where we get to like the tail end of the college football season. We had the last ever Pac-12 game tonight. Mm -hmm. I'm excited for that. So, yeah, thank you, everyone. This has been episode 148 of the Cod Casuals. We're your host, Justin, and I'm Mike. And we'll see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. So, yeah.